for just about everything for the outdoors. Go to MidwayUSA.com. Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tecova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots as well as free returns and exchanges and ship right to your door. Go to tecovas.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. Happy Tuesday, everybody. Today is April 4th, 2023. And today I've got an in-studio podcast. Jake Bush is here, Derek Brady's, and DJ came up here. And uh, we're doing in-studio podcast, and it is a good one. And we're hot. We are back with another episode of the Fall Podcast. It's actually episode 286. And uh, what I ended up doing is Derek and uh, Jake, obviously we all work for Latitude. We ended up, or I ended up having them come up here because we want to do some editing stuff and and, uh, go through some podcast stuff. And we're like, hey, we're here. Let's record a podcast. So... David actually came up here and we did an in-studio. It went really well. And we actually went out to dinner before we did this. And I was like, what do you guys want to talk about? And, you know, we're just like, let's just roll off the cuff, you know, BS and and ended up being a really good podcast. Not that I didn't think it was going to be, but um, without really any topics, I mean, I think we were going to talk about some goals, which we did a little bit, but we get into like the parallels of hunting ag and hunting hill country. I mean, we got Jake here that hunts a lot of hill country and, um, you know, David and I hunt a lot of, a lot of ag ground and, and, and Derek does a little bit of the both, you know, so we do a lot of the parallels and, and it's a really good, really good podcast. So this one, um, this one, I think everybody will enjoy. So got nothing really else going on other than, uh, I was, you, you can see, I'm trying to change up the background a little bit, make this a little, little higher production. Um, but, uh, that is right behind me, the great Hambino, as you can, you can kind of see him there, but, um, he was actually out. I had him out in our, our main, part of our living space down in our basement here and and I decided to bring him in and put him on that pedestal that I made and uh there he is in all of his glory so I know it's kind of hard to see but 
uh, he needed to be in here somewhere because he's, he's a big part of, of the brand and the podcast and everything. So, uh, and a big part of, you know, one of the best memories I'll, I'll never forget that deer right there is, is, uh, he meant a lot to me. So yeah, changing that up, but, um, really no updates right now on any merch, uh, still waiting on all the garments, everything's slow. I apologize. Um, but uh, things are coming. So, and uh, I just want to refer a little bit to last week's podcast, last Friday, about the Mitron Polo Buck. And yeah, I've got a lot of DMs and a lot of people reaching out. And I wasn't going to do any more podcasts on this. This was literally going to be the only one. But I had a couple guys reach out to me that uh, that they know a guy that's a world class taxidermist and actually. Um, makes replicas for a living so he's around antlers all the time and knows how to build them and everything and uh they brought it up they they hit me up and they were like i think it'd be a good idea if you know this guy he'd be the one to talk to about the round polo buck and i guess this guy has broke down the round polo buck before in some videos so i'm pretty interested in getting him on so i think we're actually going to go down that route um why not right you know, here we are. It's, it's, uh, everybody's got cabin fever. And, uh, so I think we're going to get them on and we just got to figure out a time when to do that, but it's coming. So we'll do that for sure. We got some good, good podcasts coming up. You know, we got the Pottinger way series running right now. We got episode one of that out and, uh, we're going to be doing episode two here shortly. And, uh, that one's going over really well as, you know, people are just love, they just love to listen to Troy and learn from him. And I don't blame him because he is really good at what he does and he's attention to detail and he's high level. And, uh, I just can't thank him enough for, for wanting to do this. I approached him with it and he's like, yeah, why not? Let's go. So super appreciative of Troy for doing that. So, all right, let's get in some partner reads here. And, uh, I got some, I got some codes and uh, some discounts that you guys want to stick around for. And one big one, I, I think it's a big one, uh, Garmin. I got actually a little discount there for you guys if you guys are looking to get a Garmin. So let's start with Helix Broadheads. If you guys, you know, FJ4, FJ2, if you guys want to try these out, turkey season is literally, I know turkey season is going on right now in a lot of areas, but Michigan starts in like two weeks, you know, just about two weeks. And uh, if you want to shoot with a bow, get out there and do it. You know what I mean? And, uh, get some FJ fours, man, or FJ two is one or the other, but, uh, use the code fall HX 10 at helixbroadheads.com to, uh, get those broadheads coming. Cause you want to get them now and, uh, start shooting them and go shoot some turkeys with them. So latitude outdoors, the fall podcast, all one word, all lowercase saves 25% off on latitude gear. Go there. If you guys are looking for a new saddle, you know, new ropes, new accessories, anything, anything like that. Use the code the fall podcast, one word, lowercase for 25% off at latitudeoutdoors.com. Also, you know, we are still doing the pre the, the stick pre-order. So, so go over there. And if you guys want to get these new sticks, do that as well. Matter of fact, I just went and scouted Kevin Leach and I just went and scouted yesterday and it was a really good time. And, uh, in the swamp got, got, uh, beat up in the swamp a little bit, but, uh, that's, that's what it's for. You know, the public land, Michigan swamp, and it was a lot of fun, got wet, but you know what I mean? That that's I need to get outside and, and, uh, and, and enjoy that a little bit more, you know? So that was a good time, but we did some stuff on the sticks. So if you guys, 
like I said, if you guys want to know more about the sticks or get some, get on the pre-order because literally they are going to ship them out as they get, you know, as in order, as your name is on the order. So get there and, and get them done. So uh, Exodus, if you guys are looking to upgrade cameras right now, they're doing a um, upgrade program for the month of April. And I'm going to pull that up real quick here so I know um right there so the month of april right now they're doing basically like a cash for clunkers they used to do that thing back in the day for cars that's what i call it cash for clunkers but it's literally an upgrade if you guys have an old camera laying around and want to get into a new one you can go to exodusoutdoorgear.com and when you check out with either uh rival or rival bundle or with the render or render bundle so that means with the solar panel and everything when you check out use the code upgrade okay it'll save you 25% off for the whole month of April all right and what how how it works is basically you go in like i said and you you order it you put in the code it's not case sensitive either just put in upgrade uh it'll save you 25% off and um after you place the order, the Exodus team will send you a return label for your trade-in camera, okay? So after receiving that camera, they'll ship your new camera out. So basically what you got to do is go on there, go to the website, purchase the camera, okay? Use the code upgrade and send your camera. They're, they're, once they get the, once they get your order, you've placed it once they get it they will send you a, a shipping label you box up your clunker send it in once they receive it they're going to send you the new camera for a discount so do that um i've said it on here many times but you can't look past the five-year warranty and the five-year theft and damage coverage you really can't uh it's the best in class i honestly still don't think there might be one other trail cam company out there that has a five-year warranty but i, I don't know if there is um but that right there and the customer service alone is a reason why you should at least look at these cameras and uh, try to use them and maybe get in one and they're reliable and uh, dependable. I, I, I don't have any issues with these things. So there will be a link in the show notes as well to, uh, to click on that link so it'll, it'll get you in the right position to uh, get this uh, upgrade going. So next one's Garmin. Go to Garmin.com now. I got to read this because it's a little wordy and uh, I forgot it already. So you can save $100 off any of the A1 bow sights. So the A1, the A1i, and the A1i Pro. You can save $100 on that right now with a mail-in rebate. You can do it at Garmin.com or you can go to any Garmin dealer, okay, and you can get this mail-in rebate and save $100. And if you guys are into crossbow hunting, they have a crossbow site as well. That's a range, uh, A1 ranging site, just like the vertical bow one. And you can save $200 on the crossbow scope. So do that. Any dealer, Garmin dealer, or on their website, you can save some money right now. It's going to be ran the whole month of April. And uh, so, so get after that right now. I'd, that's what I'd be doing. Uh, next is Buck Bourbon. So Buck Bourbon is a new partner, like I said, and we are, we're teaming up with them on the ground blind side of things. And uh, right now they're doing the two ground blinds that they have are the 300 plus and the 150 plus, I'm sorry. And 
the 150 plus is on their website at buckbourbon.com. The 150 plus is normally 129.99. Right now it is 99.99. It is a four-sided hub style hunting blind, just a ground blind, you know what I mean? Um, it's a saloon style spring blind door. So the door is like a saloon style, it just kind of swings open. But the thing, the cool thing about it is, you know, it opens to where it's really big. So you can, you don't really have to make a lot of noise or get hung up on anything when you're trying to get in. Uh, it's 180 degree silent slide windows and it includes a backpack carrying case. So that is the 150 plus. Now the 300 plus is a little bigger in, in, and it's kind of their their higher end model. So it's a one-way mesh hunting blind. So in the windows, you know, they have those meshes. You can see out, but nothing can see in. So it's a one-way mesh. It was $169.99. Now, right now, it is $139.99. And I believe this sale is only going for another week, I believe. Uh, so get on this right now if you guys want a new blind for turkey hunting or for deer hunting, anything like that, buckbourbon.com. This blind, the 300 plus, has a saloon style spring door as well. So it's a big door, four-sided hub style blind. Um, and it's got the integrated internal blackout curtain system. So you can black the whole thing out if you need to. So really cool blinds. Go check them out at buckbourbon.com. And uh, right now, save some money. Next is Prime. So go to g5prime.com if you're looking for a new bow. Look at the RevX. I'm more partial to the RevX 2, but there's two other models. So go in there, see if you can find something that you like, and uh, check those out as well. And lastly, America's Best Bowstrings. Use the code THEFALL at checkout at America's Best Bowstrings to uh, save yourself some money on some new custom strings for your bow. So there it is. We can get over to this interview with Jake and Derek and David, this little in-studio session. So hopefully you guys like it. There's a lot of stuff to take away from it in here. Um, you guys should like it. But uh, here's this interview with these guys in studio. Okay. Welcome back to another episode of the Fall Podcast, boys. Here we go. Huh? <laughs> a little crackle in the voice. Don't know why. That was weird. Um, uh, I was going to grab one of those, but that was going to be a bad deal. Just, just. <laughs> I spit mine out. I was like, yeah, like not. God. It sounds good though because we just ate B dubs, and now I'm like, now I need some taste in my mouth. Yeah, but uh, we're here in studio. We got Jake Bush with us. We got Dar David Riley and D Rock. What's up, guys? With us, you need to be a little hotter. What are you guys? Uh, how are you guys doing tonight? I'm doing great. We had some good food, good talks. Yeah, it's been awesome. It's always good to be in Michigan. Is it? Yeah. Are you sure? I haven't had a bad experience yet. Yeah. Well, we got to see a bunch of big deer. That was cool. You did, big actually. Big Michigan deer. Should we get into that right off the rip? I Should think we? that's a great topic. Okay. Got Let's to, do it. Got to show these guys the Michigan experience, and uh, I think Jake's exact words were like, I don't want to hear anybody bitching about no big deer in Michigan because <laughs> I've seen them, and he's, th this is all honesty. We, we did see I took him to some places where, uh, you know, some big deer on the wall, so from Michigan. And uh, I don't know, man. It's Michigan gets a bad rap. It does, and I I won't be the one that's gonna bash it because I know they're here. You just gotta find them, you know. But what did you guys see like after seeing that wall and everything? Like, what what was your first experience? You know, thought in your head like everybody's uh, lying to us. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I mean, I was I was impressed immediately. You, you look around here and you can see that the terrain looks mm -hmm. right. You know, yeah. it's got the recipe for a big deer and. Like we talked about, I think it's kind of an age thing more than anything else, but yep. you can see that by that wall, if they get a little age on them, I mean, you guys are producing 
there was a couple 150 inch deer in there, which yeah. is a giant deer. So it was awesome. Yeah. What'd you think? Yeah. The same thing he said when we were pulling in, I saw all the ag and I'm, I never understood why I got such a bad rap around here, yeah. but seeing that wall, I mean, I'd shoot any of those deer in any state. What'd you guys think of like coming to my house and kind of seeing how open it really is from like what I've talked about in the past? Like, I mean, it's really open. Yeah, you know, you're, you're talking wooded fence rows and that's some little wood lots, you know? Yeah. It's different than what, you know, a lot of like what I've been to Michigan, I haven't been to this type of area. Michigan's really different. Like Northern Michigan's completely mm-hmm. different than Southern Michigan and around here reminds me of like where we're from in Ohio mm-hmm. and a little more out West. So it's really vast yeah. out here. Yeah. It, it's interesting because if, if you think of Northern Ohio, it's almost similar to what Aaron has up here, real blocky, small timber lots, yeah. you know, but it's like when you go from Northern Ohio into like the deep Southern Michigan, that's kind of, it's not, there's some small wood lots, but it's a lot of swamp ground that kind of butts up to farm ground. You know, we're up here a little, you know, a little flatter up here. You can see a long ways, but then like you said, you've been to Northern Michigan and so have you Jake, where it's like you get up there, then it becomes big woods or it's like, you almost have different stages as you head north in Michigan of how the land lays out. Yeah, that's, uh, I guess, you know, Derek, you were with us in the Northern Michigan deer camp yeah. this year. So like from there to here, it's vastly different. Di- it's completely different because I've hunted Northeast Ohio and I told him we were coming in here, it looks just like Northeast Ohio around yeah. here. It's yep. just flat, blocky. You know, it's what you see when you're flying. You see those mm-hmm. squares and the big fields. That's what it is. But Northern Michigan's a completely different ball game. You, yeah. know, like you wouldn't even think you're in the same state. It, it is different. Like <laughs> yeah. once you get up that Gaylord Grayling. And Kevin north, shot his buck. Like, he kept saying it felt like an out-of-state deer for really? him up there. Yeah, because yeah. it's totally different from down here. Yeah, it, it is totally different. You know, and when you get into this flat, blocky area, this kind of area will really teach you how much ground a whitetail can cover, how quickly. Mm-hmm. You, know, you, you, you know, you come up here in November and you're driving down one of these dirt roads and all of a sudden, you know, you see some kind of buck on a doe. And next thing you know, he's, you know, two square miles away so now he's covered two miles in a matter of you know a minute or two minutes yeah wow you know like when you really start thinking of like how big an area a buck may call home i think in these kind of areas these blocky small areas it's it's a lot larger than say northern michigan or big swamp country you know what i mean where it's like they they they're more condensed down mm-hmm. in those areas here that's more wide open for it's them. It's like hill country. You, you know, it can be bedded from hill to hill here. It's from block to block. Yep. Is that kind of how it is? Right yeah, here? yeah. And, and that's the thing is if, you know, let's just say you have one or two permissions on a square mile, and if he's not near a little block of timber, you're not even in the game. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Especially until the rut where something, you know, a doe might pull him in where early season it's like, if he's not, if he's not on that little woodlot that you have permission to hunt on, it's probably out of the game for the day. That's a good point though. Like, you know, a little four to five acre chunk or even a little bigger, even smaller. If he ain't there, it's tough hunting. Like Mm -hmm. we were talking about it today. Like, remember I told you about the three pine trees over there. I said, if you sit there long enough, you're going to have a good deer come by you, but it's going to be the most boring hunt (laughs) ever, but it'll happen. It'll have, you just got to be there. That's just, it's just the name of it around here, you know, and I absolutely love it. But we talked today a lot about, I think you guys can see how much I have to glass. Like I spend more time on the glass here than I do in a tree. You know, it's not even comparable. And and it gets to the point though, too, where it's like, you know, if, if you need to make something happen, then you need to get in there. You know what I mean? It, you, you definitely need to get into the timber. You need to figure it out and maybe throw a couple 
you know, a couple sits at an area, but I will say the historical thing is very true in farm ground, just like it is anywhere else. I've got a, you know, a hub scrape. I shouldn't say a hub scrape, but it's like a, just a community scrape that, you know, middle of October every year in daylight, there's going to be a good buck on there in a three to four day window. And that's something over the last five or six years you just pick up on. And it's like, I know to strike then and it's it's worked yeah you know? yeah and when, when you talk about glassing in this kind of country i think it's so important at it, it's specifically at one time of the year that down where i live most of the stuff isn't like this but i do have a couple little areas you know this square mile and this square mile and this square mile all butt up each other and i may have one or two pieces or three pieces inside those where i see so much more dispersal during velvet shed in this kind of country you know mm-hmm. really You've been watching them all summer over here, you know, and then all of a sudden, you know, I, I truly believe it's almost seven to 10 days after they shed. That's when the, you really start seeing them getting up on their feet and changing their areas. But in this kind of country, he could be three miles away from velvet shed and you can be completely out of the game if you're not staying on top yeah. of them, especially that's why glassing is so important. Yeah. Jake, when you're down in, in, you know, big country, hill country and stuff like that, when you see shed, ha- shit, you know, shed happen and then that shift happen, are you seeing deer in the hill country and big woods like that go that far? I mean, you cover a big wide swath, so you might be able to see, you know, they, they might relocate a mile or it might be four miles. Like, have you seen something that, that drastic? I definitely have. And it's situational, but it definitely can occur. Uh, one example of that transition that happens after they shed is like if I glass bean fields all summer that kind of butt up next to the pri- or next mm-hmm. to the public, I'll, I'll catch those deer down on the bean fields and I already have my cameras pre-staged back on the public on the acorns waiting for that shift. So kind of anticipating that, if you yep. will. But in, in different circumstances, you don't always see the shift. Like if I have a, a really good hub that has a couple clear cuts, it has white oaks, it has ag nearby, you know, it's got all these different things going for it. Those deer are kind of homebodies and they're there all year round. Okay. So it's really dependent on the specific terrain and on what food sources are nearby. I got you. Yeah. That I was always interested in that because growing up and David's been at my family farm, it's big timber. You know, it's not a lot of rolling hills, but it's like a mile section of timber. So like, you know, and I think it might've been part of the you know, the, the culture growing up is like, you bump a buck, he's going to be the next County over. And really in those areas, like with big timber, I really don't think they go that far when they get bumped. You know, you might get a deer that's got a personality. that's like, yeah, he might blow out, but majority the deer and what I've seen is they're going to go to the next patch of cover and it, and it might only be 500 yards. And then once they feel safe again, they're going to be all right. You know? So but I will say growing up, bumping deer has been like a no-no. I hate, I still hate bumping deer. I hate it. <laughs> we were talking to Andy May about it. He's like, I blow up everything. Yeah. <laughs> like, yep. You know, like I push deer all over, you know. So um, he doesn't mean to, but he's just trying to get aggressive. So I just think uh, the bumping deer thing out here in the in the, in the the farm country to like the big timber, drastically different. Like oh, you yeah. said, David, it's like he could be three miles away in a matter of no time and then you know, in, in big woods, I think they're just going to the next piece of cover. Yeah. And, and that's, that's probably exactly right. It, they're just a product of their environment. They get scared in a blocky timber situations. They have no choice, but to cover ground to get to that next bit of cover, yep. you know, whether maybe a, a, you know, a ditch, a, a, a fence line. I mean, even in this, uh, the blocky, you know, this blocky farm country, 
when you watch them, they don't even necessarily just cut across wide open fields. They're following, you know, old tree lines or old fence lines from, you know, one, you know, block A to block B. Mm-hmm. You know, they just don't freely random. They they have specific, you know, travel routes. I, I'll tell you a good example. Down, down where I'm from, I've seen this happen where farmers will take out tree lines, right? So they can, you know, combine field A and field B. They don't have to stop. They can just, you know, take that tree line out and keep uh, farming that. But even with that tree line being gone for a dozen years, all the wildlife, the turkeys too, the raccoons and the deer, they all still travel it because it's like it's ingrained in them that that was there before. You know what I mean? They've been, since they were, you know, fawns and and little babies that they've been traveling on that. And this, it's, it's just interesting to watch, you know? Yeah, no, I agree. Um, You know, a lot of, Derek, you come from, PA right and you grew up hunting PA so what was the train like that you hunted over in there um where I hunted locally to me was it was kind of it was residential but it was it was farmland but it was it wasn't as big as this it'd just be little 60 acre pieces but where I hunted up the mountains was like northern Michigan without the it wasn't as beautiful Mm -hmm. but it was just high mountainous terrain and the difference in deer just like from here in northern Michigan was night and day I mean where I've where I hunted locally you bump a deer that deer the same way it's the six farms over and there's no sure. reason for it to come back yeah because on the way back it's hitting all the food on the way back up there i mean there's deer that's their mountain but these mountains are you know they're huge so trying to get on one's completely different than yeah. the hills of ohio you know like you bump deal deer in ohio and the hills just keeps going back and back yeah. and back <laughs> yeah. yeah jake you grew up in new york so like what was your experience with terrain up there so the terrain was kind of all over the place we have like the mountainous side of it and then a half hour from there we have more of like the agriculture side but it's mixed with a lot of bluffs or rolling hills so you get a taste of a little bit of everything you can go hunt the big woods if you'd like to or you can hunt the typical like bed to food pattern where they drop off the hills down to the egg and i've seen pretty much all the same things like if i bumped a deer in the mountains back home they would seem to return sooner and i think it's because they've fine-tuned those areas over the years and they Mm -hmm. have like these little pockets that they really love where in the ag land for me, if I bump a deer, I'm probably not seeing them again that season. Really? Yeah, it was it was just different. They were a lot more wiry and they would just like vacate and disappear. And yeah. that's how they survived. You know, there's a, a higher hunter density. There's a lot of different things that would like balance that pressure back and forth too. So yeah, I mean, I personally found myself hunting the mountains more just to try to get a little more consistency with like that bedding pattern mm-hmm. than anything else. So when you were hunting ag, what was your approach back then when you were hunting ag? Like, was it standoff, wait, glass, then move in? Or how did you approach that? That was my biggest approach. It was normally glass all summer long. We could spotlight in New York as well. So I'd go out and just locate deer and try to figure out some sort of pattern. Um, when I started figuring out like the wind-based bedding thing mm-hmm. on top of that, it really opened up a lot of avenues for me because I could say, okay, this deer's coming from this direction two or three nights a week coming to this and he's coming by this one tree. And I would just basically glass all summer up to the opener. And then on the opener, I would try to attack. And that was like the most, I had like a three to five day window to make that happen. New York opens October 1st. So a little bit later than a lot of these Midwestern states. So that time frame that you have to be successful early season, at least in my opinion, is, is much shorter. Yeah. So yeah, that was my biggest, I mean, I love glassing back home. And mm-hmm. I could see that if I was in a state like this or an area like this, I would probably not run a lot of cameras besides like annual cameras that I would check once a year. And I would be behind the glass. Like you are driving around every day, just trying to locate and pattern deer. Yeah. 
that's how I do it, man. It's glass, and I don't run a lot of cameras here. And it's just honestly like those annual hubs or those scrapes I have. That's just like I want to retain that information. And and so far the last six years, it is you can find out pretty good patterns on them that like and like you said i love how you said three to five days or so because i believe the same thing it's like when he shows up it's in october anyway you know even up till about october 20th three to five days when he's there you got to go now because it's probably your only window it's gonna happen yeah um that is something that's held true every year that i've been hunting out here so are you seeing the deer up here shift around quite a bit based on what ag is still standing or being cut as well like the oh, october yeah. time frame yeah 100 percent. yeah so um you know and honestly and this is could be mixed reviews from anybody you ask on ag but i have better years when it's beans uh, a lot of people like standing corn for security cover and everything like that i get excited for it but like i have better years i've killed better bucks when it's standing beans and um, the longer that they are on, obviously the better, but I don't even care if they're green beans, you know, they, they could be, I've had beans standing in November and I've decoyed bucks coming out and eating in beans. And like the first buck I killed this year, he came out, it was October 13th standing beans. He came out with six does and he was mowing on beans at three o'clock in the afternoon, you know, in, in the wide open. It's like, what are you doing, man? You know, it's like a head scratcher. Like you're going to die. And well, he did three hours later, <laughs> you know? So it's just, but I do see a heavy train, a heavy shift on, um, if it's wheat, it, obviously it's, there's no food there. You might as well just X that right off the, off the rip. But, um, but once the beans and the, and the ground gets turned up, um, they're gone beans or corn. So, but yeah. And then, you know, I think I one big thing that I've noticed in open country like this, the deer still use the wind, but they throw a lot more caution or not a lot of more caution. They they throw, I'm sorry, you I will see more deer walk with the wind of their back into blocks of timber when you're like, what is, what is that deer doing? Like I've seen deer walk across an 80 acre field with the wind not in his favor at all that i think you know how you always taught like yeah. how deer are supposed to move mm. and they'll enter a woodlot and i'm like holy crap like boy if i was there you're done those <laughs> you know what i mean and it's like a, a good three or four year old buck too you know a buck that should be on with as a wits but i will see more bucks than not use the wind w- weird it's it's weird and i think Honestly, what I've come to find out is like they trust their eyes more in that open ground. But like for me, when you get closer to the timber and they can't see in there, you'd think they'd shift a little bit and get the wind in their advantage and more times than not, they don't. Yeah. Well, with it being kind of open, small timber lots, are you know, are you seeing them kind of bedding more towards the outskirts of these lots, you know, using their visual to, you know, watch across, say across to that next lot or watching their you know nightly food source 100 percent. i yeah. see more deer i find more beds more like buck bed types on edges like i don't think these deer get in very deep into these timber and which makes it hard if you don't have multiple access routes to a piece of timber that you have you're you could be screwing yourself you know yeah. um now in farm country what's your strategy if it is mostly standing corn where you're hunting how do you go about hunting that or do you just look for a bean field that you can hunt nope no and if it's corn you know, I have two spots in particular that 
they have inside corners that have scrapes, community scrapes that are hit every year. But I will see an influx in uh, daylight activity in those inside corners when it is corn. I won't, I won't, won't lie to you. Like, so I hunt a lot of those inside corners and the woodlots. I've got one that's four acres and, and one corner of it is really thick. It's just how it's been grown up. And I know the deer bed in there. So I, you know, it, it's just historical. Like you, you know how to stay away from those yeah. areas. And, um, I've, I've, I've set up this one spot. I actually killed in it last year that it's a really easy in really easy out and you're not bumping anything, but I, I hunt the fringes. I, yeah. it's hard for me to dive in because you take six or seven steps in there, you blow the whole four <laughs> acres and it's mm-hmm. like you're, yeah. and then like Jake said, you're out of the game and yeah. you could be out of the game for a while, yeah. you know? Cause it, it, I almost would say that it's safe to say that these woodlots, you know, you won't have just, you know, a solo buck bedding in there. He's going to, he's going to, there's going to be a couple other bucks and then maybe, you know, three or four does in there. So, you know, you're tippy toeing in there. Cause if you bust one, like you said, they're all done. Cause this four acres. You know? Yeah. Well, one thing I have, uh, one thing I do pay attention more to or more is does and family groups of does. Yeah. So, uh, you know, I've got family groups of does that call a group or a section of timber home. And, and you see them every day. You see them every morning, every night. You know that the same amount of deer, you know what deer they are. You can identify them by their features and everything. And so going into a section of timber, I know that I've got, you know, two adult does and two fawns in here, possibly with somebody, but that might be bedded in here. So you got how many more sets of eyes? Yeah. That's something I really do take you know, notes on and taking into consideration is these little woodlots. I like to find the family groups of does that call them home before even the bucks, because you, you got to going into the situation, you got to know what could possibly be in there and blowing out if you might blow them out, you know, have, have you seen any trends, you know, following and tracking those doe groups, you know, over the years, how are you starting to kind of pinpoint when, Hey, this, I know that there's a doe group in this woodlot and she's, She's going into heat first yeah. before, you know, any of these other doe families around here. Yeah. So I've got, uh, a doe, um, and I can tell who she is and everything. And she's, I, I would have to say she's got to be at least six or seven right mm-hmm. now. And she lives in the same wood lot. Yeah. Every, and she uses two wood lots and the last two years she's thrown twins and then she's got another adult doe that's with her. And she's kind of like the oddball. Like, I don't know why. There's just four, you know, and they religiously use two woodlots. One's four acres and the other one's about six acres. But um, I can see them maneuvering from from one to the other. Um, but back to your kind of your your uh, vegetation and like what crops in there, they will pick one woodlot over the other depending on the corn or yeah. be, uh, on the rotation. Yeah. You know, and it's more like they'll use both, but you'll you'll see them frequenting you know, woodlot a more yeah. when it's beans or it's, it's odd, but it's so, something that I definitely like to key on, on key in on. Now, you do know. you, do you ever, are these woodlots big enough that you can focus on staging areas out to the ag? No. Okay. It, well, it just depends on how they set up because like a staging area, there's one that's got some CRP that, uh, that touches it. And, it goes from CRP and then it goes to about a group of four trees and you can get to those four trees. And if you want to call it a staging area, the CRP, they will come out in there and just kind of mill around. And that all depends on if that's corn, if it's corn that year, it's a staging area. If it's not, it's not a staging area. Like, so those are some little nuances too, that you really want to hone in on. 
And I took two years ago when I shot my Super 6, I took advantage of that. That was kind of yeah. what happened right there. Yeah, yeah, I mean four acres. That's almost bedding. Yeah, <laughs> staging food. Like that's almost it's everything right there. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. The little bit of farm country that I hunted in Jersey and Northeast Ohio, when I I wasn't new to it at all. Um, they all just told me to focus on staging areas. It's all really? they said to sure. to food. Did yep. you ever see any terrain changes in those? Um, there was a bean field that I was hunting in Northeast Ohio um, the last couple of years with a buddy of mine, and right on the edge of the bean field, it it drops down. Okay, into kind of just it keep, continues to keep going down there's a creek at the bottom and that was the staging area we wouldn't hunt the staging area because we were glassing and so mm-hmm. we knew those deer were coming out but there's like clockwork they'd come up from the bottom they we knew they were staging down there because that's where the cameras were yep and they just sit around the creek and just walk around a mill until it got a little dark that they felt safe to come out yeah yeah they, they, but they were bigger pieces of timber yeah for yeah. sure well i almost think you know when you have bigger size you know timber you know hill country or whatever at least in my opinion what i've seen some in some of the swamp country is you may have that staging area right outside the bed or out right next to the food but there's actually one that they hit first right outside the bedding you know what i mean like they actually have two staging areas yeah. and that that first one is going to get you the best daylight mm-hmm. activity and that that second one that's hit or miss one day you may be there five minutes in time the next time you may be three minutes too late you know that one that's right on the edge of bedding i bet that's like flirting with disaster we get deeper into that next one that that's that's the key one right there yeah i'm not a big moon guy but i think that if you are a moon guy that's probably what depends on that how fast they get to that second staging area before they hit that field and pressure too yeah Mm -hmm. yeah i mean and especially you get in you know say down in that deeper staging area right outside of bedding and you throw a good scrape right in there too i mean that's i mean that's perfect there is another instance as well like you know since Jake and I've been working together with lads and everything, we talk a lot more and, you know, shooting ideas off him and stuff like that. And then Hill Country, there's some, there's been some uh, parallels I see with, you know, you're looking for low areas, thermal hubs, stuff like that. So I started trying to think about that in like smaller woodlots and how that works. And um, knowing a woodlot that I hunt, there is a direct correlation to it, but, but, in the in the hill ground hill country that you hunt you might fall 80 feet to a bottom i'm falling about eight feet from like a little knoll down and they they still bed in the bottoms like quote unquote the bottoms you're not you literally it might be a little knoll you know and then you might have a little like uh what do you want to call it like a little ditch something like that but it's it's really really not that big of a difference you know what i mean it just kind of like gradually goes up a little bit and it's flat ground here, but they do hug those bottoms because, and then, you know, I was really trying to paint the picture and, you know, we get uh majority Northwest, North, Northwest prevailing winds. And these beds are all on the Southeast little bottom of it. And it's, it makes sense because they're getting that wind in their favor. And, um, I know exactly where they bed every year. So it's like, but it's not something I can get right in on their beds and, yeah you know, you kind of, I hunt them to and to and from and yeah. in that inside corner and it's holds well, pretty. Fruitful. So do you stage hunt like a block like that? What do you mean? Like move in slowly. Like you'll get on the edge and then if you don't get yeah. busted, you don't see something moving farther. So it's, if I know there's deer in there and I take that approach, even if I don't see them, I take that approach that there's going to be that group of family does in there. If I haven't seen them and I'm just, I got to, you know, keep all my 
T's crossed and my eyes dotted. So what I do is I have a, a method of just like glassing because there's there is a little knoll in there and where I've positioned the tree that I like to get into, it's on the backside of a knoll and I can get to the base of that tree down a fence row. I have to crawl on my hands and knees quite a bit uh, to get there, but I glass. It takes me a while to get in there. I glass and glass, move up. And if I, usually I'm pretty good. If I can't see them, then I know I can get to that tree. Now, when I get to about 10 feet on, up in that tree, that's when I'm starting to get revealed. And that's where, you know, you got to, it's a pretty good size oak tree, but I try to keep the tree in between me and the bedding or where I'm thinking yeah. these deer are, and then just try to, you know, get up there. The other thing is, is I will hunt it on a Northwest wind, which means that that wind is, is blowing just off of their nose and how I have the tree positioned or how the tree's positioned and how I put it there, but how they like to use this inside corner there. My, my wind is here and they're literally cutting it the whole time. And it's the last year when I killed that buck, he was 12 yards and he was ready to, to get me the whole time. But it was, it was yeah. weird. It was just crazy how they're just, you know, and I stuck him and it was really cool. It's just, it's some of those things that, and I'm fortunate cause I get to watch that. I have a job that allows me to be able to watch it a lot. Yeah, so, yeah. um, I don't know. It's just some of those things that I thought the parallels from Hill Country to the Flatland, even seeing them on a smaller scale was pretty neat to see. It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Yeah, I think there's a lot of things that would be interesting to kind of compare between mm-hmm. the hill country and the flatland. Yeah. A selfish question I have that revolves around the bedding is, you know, we're driving around looking at all these big blocks of timber that are kind of out in the middle of nowhere and mm-hmm. you have these giant fields. And in my head, I saw like, you know, on one of the blocks, there was a broken down tractor in the middle of the field that was brushed in. And then there's an old like torn down barn that was kind of brushed in or like these big brushy hedgerows, are you finding mature bucks bedding in those more often than the actual blocks of timber? Or are you finding them in the blocks of timber more? I'm in, in that particular sense of like uh, like a tractor, a barn, not so much, but there are, are like little patches of oak trees. Like there might be a big oak with a whole bunch of ragweed around it or whatever. There will be a, that will hold a buck there or hold in that those pine trees I was telling you about. The reason why I said that is because I get to watch those pine trees a lot and there's a little drainage right there and it's got some thermal pull with some water that runs through it. 
a big deer will be there every year and you'll see them every year. I just can't hunt them because it's not my property. So, but it's just one of those, you know, I think that's kind of a lot what you're saying, uh, in a sense of like out in the middle of nowhere, you know, it's going to hold a, hold something hold, but I see it more in the rut phases when he's going to take a doe there. Like there's more times than not, you just look out there and you just see this rack and it's like, and then the doe stands up and you're like, holy shit. He is so bulletproof right now, you know? So I don't see it so much like as a all year or a October, September, October betting. It's more of like a take a doe there in a random spot and he's just going to keep him for itself. Yeah. Sometimes I'll see that in the summertime if it, if that spot offers good shade mm-hmm. next to the food source, you know, especially, uh, I, I don't see it too much up here, but a lot of the, the tree lines and the fence lines down where I'm at, they're, they're also like ditches. So they provide water too. So naturally, you know, that farmer's not planting right tight to that ditch. You know, there's that kind of that buffer, you know, and they'll, you'll see a lot of nighttime bedding going on in there too. But, you know, you watch them go back in the morning, depending on what way that, you know, the trees, the shade is with the sun coming up in the east, they may lay there for the half a day, then switch as the sun changes. But, uh, you know, as in Michigan, that, that stuff may happen. And then like Aaron said, it, that those spots would be good spots where a buck will take a doe. But as soon as kind of that velvet shed and more people, you know, around here, September is like the time to go put your tree stands up, right? <laughs> it is. Let's be honest, guys. And then all those deer start getting just pushed mm-hmm. into different areas, you know. And I think a lot of times, you know, it's even though there's that summer bedding, like our scouting now is kind of for pressured bedding, more or less. You yeah. know what I mean? You're like, okay, I, I know they may lay here all summer, but I need to know where he's going to be in October. Yeah. Mm-hmm. There are some, to Jake's point there, there are some... Uh, um, like oil, I wouldn't call them oil derricks, but they're oil, like little oil fields out in the middle of these fields. And they burn a lot of those up around them for like barriers. And they've all grown up with overgrown weeds. Um, I have seen bucks just, you know, on the middle, cause you know, you have one driveway that goes out into the middle of the field and there's like this little oil field deal. And I have seen deer bedded up in there and sometimes it'll hold a couple deer, you know, hold a buck and a couple does or something like that. But, um, you don't see it a lot. You see more of that rut time. I need to get away from everybody and I don't, I need this doe to myself and that's where I'll take them, you yeah. know? And it's, it's very Midwestern type. Cause when I first saw that was in Illinois years ago and, uh, the guy I was with, he's like, see that tree out there. He's like, I'll bet you in the next week, we'll see a buck with a doe out there. Sure. Shit. Here's this giant, and he, he walks her right underneath there. They, they lay down this ragweed and they're there, you know, for like 36 yeah. hours. It's like, geez, yeah. <laughs> you know, there, there's a doe family, um, that I know of that give it about two or three days after firearm season opens. And there'll be about seven or eight of them every year. I've kept track of this and they, there's a lone tree, you know, they, we see those lone trees out here in these farmers fields. They're always there from back in the day. Like that would be a good spot for them to stop and take lunch, sit under the shade, enjoy a little time off. But this group of does will go out there and they'll just kind of surround themselves around the street and they will live there for a week or two because of gun season. And they're just <laughs> eyes each way, you know, but like you're, no one's getting to them, you know, and they'll, they'll leave during the night, but they'll all f- funnel right back in around that tree. And, you know, they can see, you know, a square mile to the north, south, east, and west. Like no one's touching them. It's like they, they've learned that's a safe spot once the, you know, the, the pressure really kicks up for firearm season. Yeah. Jake, when you're, I'm going to go back to hill country here. I got a question talking about the doe family groups and stuff like that. Do you see, 
a group of family does or a certain amount or certain does that might call a hub home that they're living there and that's kind of what they call home and they don't venture far from there yeah it's a really interesting question i've brought that up a bunch this year because of what i was noticing is we've had a lack of acorns for two years now we've had barely any red acorns at all barely any chestnut oaks um what i was seeing is a lot of the mature bucks would vacate those hubs in those areas and they would just i don't know where they're going to be honest with you i haven't found them yet but they yeah. they would almost like migrate if you will out of some of these big wood settings but a lot of the does and the doe groups would stay there and i thought that was really odd it was like you know what i would think would happen is the does would vacate to find food mm -hmm. first and the biggest most mature deer that kind of feels like that's a sanctuary would would stay there as long as possible uh, and I don't have the answer for that yet. I'm still trying to figure that out. But so the answer to your question is yes, I do see does inhabit these like very specific hubs. And it seems like they're more willing to stay in there and suffer as opposed to these big mature bucks doing that for That's whatever wild. reason. Yeah, it's kind of backwards of what you would think. It is. That's, yeah, that is. You know, because what I thought it was is like maybe the does eating everybody out of house and home and they'll kick the buck out a lot of times. You know, they'll, you know, because doe family group with three, four does in it they're going to clean up a lot of acorns and a lot of food in a matter of no time. And they would almost keep the bucks out of an area. I would think, you know, that's wild. They, I got a question. Those chestnut, chestnut oaks, are they the long acorn? Like the long skinny one? Yeah, they are. They're actually a part of the white oak family. They're just the least preferred, but yeah, they're the long ones. I've heard people call them like the hot dog of the deer yeah, woods before. Yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> we don't have a lot of them up here. I've never really I seen them around I don't, here. I don't know if I've ever seen one in any of my hunting. Years. I agree. Yeah. yeah. I, I find them normally like on the ridge spines. So where the ridges have the most drainage for whatever reason, it seems like they do the best at the highest elevation with like the steepest spine possible. Hmm. Hmm. Now, when do they prefer them? From my experience, they prefer them in the winter months. So okay. December, January, February, I find if we have a good chestnut oak crop, I find a ton of antlers on them. I found last winter, 30 antlers on chestnut oaks, Wow, at least 30 antlers. I mean, it's, wow. it's unbelievable, but there's, they're not good every year. So mm -hmm. you'll have, you know, two or three years where they won't produce anything. And then you'll have that one good year again. So I just have little pockets where if I get in a late season pinch, I'll try to go check up on all of those and see if I have a pocket of hot ones. And this year I just didn't have that pocket I was looking for. Wow. I actually, Derek was with me. We went all over the place trying to find chestnut oaks. That was like the number one thing we were looking for. Now, are, are they preferring them later in the season because are they dropping later compared to the other oaks? I don't think they are necessarily from what I've seen. They drop just about the same time frame, but it's it's something to do with the palatability of mm. that acorn. They just don't want to feed on that. They have other preferred yeah. other preferred food sources that time of year. Hmm. That's yeah. interesting. Yeah, I found I, I found a ton of chestnut oak scouting this year and I didn't know what they were. And then I asked Johnny and he told me about them. So if you have a bad white oak year, but there's chestnut oaks, will they eat them earlier than late season if there's not white oaks on the ground? there's so many factors you know there's it depends on where you're at exactly i mean i have a lot of areas with ag and that's still like the more preferred food source yeah um but if you have good reds then no if you have no whites and no reds and you have chestnuts i mean that's that's kind of what you got okay. and i'm yeah. sure they're gonna feed on it yeah you just wonder if they're almost like too ripe early on or something you know what i mean yeah. or, or the fact that they you know they can sit there on the ground all fall and still say stay good you know what i mean That's wonder if it has anything to do with it because they're bigger acorns like they're longer like if it has anything like you said too ripe maybe yeah. not ready maybe it takes a little bit into the 
colder months for them to complete? I have no idea. Yeah. Just trying to think of something. Oh, yeah. Well, <laughs> you you know? Know, it sounded good. Yeah. yeah. The age-old question is trying to figure out the, the rotation of the acorns. Yeah. You know what I mean? We're like, you say, like, well, resident do good this year. And then you're like, someone would say, well, they must have did good last year. And you're like, no, they weren't good that year either. You know, it's I like, don't feel I, like there is a rotation. I, I can never <laughs> figure it out. You know, whatever like, the rotation is, it was nothing this year. So hopefully <laughs> that doesn't happen for the next 30 oh, years. Oh my yeah. gosh. Well, it's the same thing with apple trees. I've, you know, we've had a couple apple trees on our family farm for years. And it's like, man, you know, every two years, the one will sprout really good. And then it's like, for five years it hasn't sprouted it's like what the what's going on here you know and then the sixth year he'll just be almost breaking all the branches because there's so many you know so well and then with apples you know that's why i I was asking the question about maybe if the chestnuts dropped late because you see that with apples you know like a lot of guys that are you know big into managing their land were like this apple is really good and drops in September, but this one holds into November and they prefer this one in November, but it's like, it's almost strictly because it, they're, it's just holding later. Yeah. But the sweetness of that apple changes from, you know, species to species, you know, so the deer just preferred at different times or it's, I don't know. There's a whole science. That, there that's, is. That's above my pay grade. Makes my so. head want to explode. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's cool. And that's like, you can, you can like, you, you know, you walked, forever this year you walk how many miles and it's like you're just looking for an acorn for some something to eat you know and uh you never found it yeah it's crazy but what i always think's interesting about those years you know like say you're out there scouting right and you're covering all these you know spines and ridges or whatever acorn flats whatever you want to call it and it's just dead of sign and a lot of people just write that off right but you got to put that stuff in the memory book because it's like, hey, if that thing produces next year, it could go from zero to a hundred. Yep. So you know, what I mean, we're like, I I've seen it. I've I've done that. You know, where it's you get into an area and it's like, oh, the sign in here is all old. Well, it's probably old because of the A corner rotation mm-hmm. in here. You yeah. Know, put that in memory bank because upcoming years it's probably going to get hot again at yeah. some point. And that's huge for your scouting too. Mm-hmm. Like I'll get into some of these areas and say that this say I have a big giant ridge that runs west to east. And off the front of that ridge on the north side, I've got a dozen different points that are, let's even say a quarter mile long, right? Like big, long points. So as I'm going down through those points, looking for beds, I'll find a bunch of different bedding areas. And like two years ago, it was a really good example of this. I got into the first point and it was loaded with beds and I get down in the beds and there's hair all over the place. I'm like, man, this is hammered. Like all these other points set up just like this. I found the gold mine, right? So I go to all those other ridges and I'm diving through all of them and there was beds and there was like old rubs in the beds and everything, but there was no hair in the beds. And it got me thinking, and I was like, you know what? This is where the white oaks were this year. Oh. And that over there is a red oak flat and it didn't produce. So they never bedded over there. So bedding is like, you need to scout for beds, but you also need to keep in the back of your head that any bed that you find is going to be used in a certain time period based on the food. Like a buck isn't going to bed, especially in a big wood setting in the same, but in the same bed all the time, if he doesn't have food. And I think that's very overlooked. Like a mm-hmm. lot of people are finding these bedding areas and they think they found the Holy grail and they go into it the next year and they're like, well, this bed wasn't even used. Well, yeah, there's no food in there. Mm-hmm. So finding the bedding that correlates to the food source that's active is like then when you can really dial that in, it's a whole new level. Yeah. Yeah. It's, you know, you get in those areas, like, like Jake said, and, you know, let's just say by those beds, you know, you, you can see this old scrape or there, you know, there's, there's old rubs in there where the first thing most people would say is, oh, it's dead in here. I'm too late to it. Where there's times where like, it, I'm almost excited because I'm like, okay, if, 
It was probably good two years ago. It wasn't good last year. There's a high probability this cycle goes this next year. It should fire right back mm -hmm. up, you know, but it's, yeah. I listen, I've, I've learned that the hard way though. You know what I mean? Cause I've, oh, I've written that stuff off thinking, oh, it's no, it's no good where it's like, no, if you learn that rotation, it, it could very well pop right back off again. And it may, sometimes it may take two years for it to happen again. Yeah. yeah. But you just, that's, that's always like spots to put, you know, in the back pocket for sure. Yeah, I completely agree. And that's actually a question that I was going to ask you earlier, based on your annual data you were talking about, mm -hmm. how you're seeing that annual data shift based on the ag rotation here. Because I, annual data in the big woods can be really good for like rut situations, at least in my opinion. But where I struggle with annual data is like the month of October because of those changing food sources where you almost need to keep annual data based on the year that that red oak flat is yeah. hot. And think about how much data that would turn into. You've got mm -hmm. a thousand oak flats and you have all these pictures from different years based on when that was actually active or not. And I mean, you just get in this big mess of data. So I was just curious what you were seeing and kind of how so, you were going about and it. And this, this is going to sound really ass backwards. And <laughs> I, I know it's going to, be, but this is what I, and I, I've got the, the best community scrape I have in the month of October from like the 10th, 12th of October until about the 17th of October, a mature buck will hit it in daylight at about 10 or 1030 in the morning, anywhere from 10 to 11 in the morning in that five day window when it's beans when it's corn i get a, a more deer because there's more cover there i get like all a lot of does i'll get little bucks and i almost think with more traffic of deer in that area it might push the more mature bucks out of it for some reason that's what my head's at but when it's beans the that time frame i'm going to be in that tree i'm going to monitor that scrape because it's going to happen it's happened like four or five years in a row not in a row but like as it's beans because beans the rotation has been off like it'll be bean bean corn bean bean like it's it's really weird with the rotation right now and you know because everybody seems to think it's like corn bean corn bean like yeah. for, you know the farmer just did something different but when it's beans for some reason, a mature buck will show up in daylight, but it's like I said, it's a three to five day window. And I think when you bring, when you add the cover, I think it brings more deer in and I think might push those better deer out. That's where my head's at. And that's kind of what I've seen. Yeah. Um, I, I mean, I could see that. I mean, look, look at the more mature bucks in the summertime. They don't mind some deer. They don't like a lot of deer, though. Mm -hmm. you know what I mean? How many times are they kind of out there by themselves or they might have two or three buddies with them yep. and that's it. Or, you know, let's say in that woodlot, he, you know, that buck, he, he all of a sudden he's, you know, three, four years old and he's been around here for a minute. He knows what doe family should be in there most of the time. But then all of a sudden, you know, every time Dick and Harry brought their families over there too. And now all of a sudden he's like, no, that's, that's too many people in here. I'm out. I'm headed to the, I'm, I'm going to go lay over here by myself. Yeah. I've had that happen to me. Um, two years ago, I was hunting that same bean field and we had a family of does come out and we were after this buck. It was first week of season in Ohio and the does spooked. They took off. They didn't blow getting 10 minutes right before shooting light buck rafter comes about 80 yards down out comes out of the thicket and he's in the right on the edge of the bean field and he just looks down at the corner of the bean field and does not see those deer there that he's been there every time we glassed and he just takes off just boogies off because he really? didn't see those deer there yeah. he's like there's a reason why are there, why is there no i'm normally the last one in this bean field where's everyone at yeah yeah i mean look at look at our our one giant mistake series you know i would say 99 percent of those those stories told and these are the the upper echelon of 
whitetails, right? That you know, the one percenters. Yeah, that two hundred, two hundred plus, the the biggest, the big. Where that was a question we asked a lot of them. We're like, what what was their demeanor around other deer? And I I think there's maybe one story where a deer that might you know he had some running mates, but other than that, they're like, oh no, he was he was completely by himself. Never you know, seen like, him with other deer. Yeah, yeah. and a, you know a lot of those stories too, like a lot of those you know those those 230 240 250 inch deer they don't have broken tines you know what i mean where yeah. it's like they don't want nothing to do no. with any other deer they've been around the block they i i think they know how big they are you know what i mean and i i gotta to go back on that scrape that same scrape is if i'm if I, I always pick up a new buck in october sometime in october I'll pick up a good buck and he'll be there for three days. It, it's a three day window and he's gone. And then I'll never see him again. I literally won't. I'm like, where did that deer go? Either A, he's getting shot or B, just, you know, he's coming through looking for maybe that first receptive doe or anything like that. But um, out of all the ground I can hunt, and there's a lot. I mean, I'm looking at, let me do some quick math here. I mean, over 200 and some acres in the same square mile that I can, or, you know, that I can hunt. The, that new buck shows up on that scrape first every time. Mm-hmm. And I don't know what it is about that because literally I could walk you over that scrape and it's a thorn apple tree and it's uh, there's like a little grass spot where like, so the timber runs in a square and the field goes like this. There's a little grass spot that's wet. And like when it gets, you know, if we don't have a wet October, it stays like there's just green grass that grows up and there's this overhanging branch. For six years, it's been destroyed. And I don't have to do anything to it. They just find it. This the 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 new buck will make that his first stomping grounds. And then I've seen him there. But then I've seen him, you know, he'll show up there. And then the next day he'll be three quarters of a mile that way on another camera. It's like okay, I've that's happened numerous times. But then they venture back over here, and this is just the yeah. epicenter. Don't yeah. know why. It, it it is wild. I mean, I I like to run a lot of cameras on video mode on scrapes in like Aaron's exact example it's like they walk right into that scrape like they know it's there they know they they don't they're not wandering they they walk right into that scrape like they know it's there then he just vanishes out into nowhere you know yeah i think it's just part of how that that little woodlot lays out in the section i think it's just the first point that all the deer come to and they're just that's what they hit first you know but also we will get a lot of south winds in October, early to, to the second week of October, that will be very beneficial for deer coming from other directions sure. that, you know, that's the first stop, yeah. basically. Yeah. I don't know. It's weird. There's so many different ways to skin it, you know, and it's like, what do you look at? I love the light bulb moment that you just said about, like, you found this bed and you're like, this is the hot spot, but then there was no hair in it. And it's like, wait a second, you know, it makes you think, right? Um I don't know how far on 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 average do you see deer shifting when acorns might be good or food might be good there with a bed and you know m- maybe we have a year where they don't drop are they shifting out of the hub or are they just trying to like find a better spot in that hub I- so it, it, once again it's situational yeah. that's kind of the thing about the hills is the topography changes so much you know you could have a system that has five different hubs kind of like what we were e-scouting the other day yep. or you can have a system that has like one general hub that's got the clear cuts in it and it rolls out to ag so it really just depends on what the other food sources are in the area if he's got a clear cut or he's got like close ag I'll see them bounce around that hub just a little bit if there's like a different white oak that's hot every year 
and they'll kind of target that as they leave their scraper as they come down the beds but i've also seen it where they'll shift two miles and i'll get that buck like multiple ridges over on a totally different acorn flat so it just really depends there's so many factors but i think it depends on how much food's in the area and like where they think that's going to shift to, you know, and they have better patterns of all these acorns than we do. Oh, if, yeah. if we could just get that in our heads real fast, <laughs> I feel like we'd be a step ahead of them. That's kind of the goal, but it's just not that easy. Now, Jake, know. how many, how many bed to food, um, hubs are you looking for in all your scouting? Like how many do you like keep in a back burn? Cause I know you could find one, but it doesn't have that deer you're looking for. Yeah. I would say if I look at Ohio right now, I probably have 250 to 300 hubs that set up like that that okay. i could go into that i at any point in time i feel dangerous in yeah and it's really just a matter of fine-tuning that down to about 50 of them and running cameras in those 50 hubs and that gives me a pretty good idea of which ones are going to have the biggest deer and then if i get in a situation like this year where none of those hubs work for me i'll pull all those cameras and like derek and i were doing we're running around hubs just dumping cameras yeah <laughs> like we were just, just throwing in the woods yeah. just what's good. And, and it was like a three, middle of the night it was yeah i mean in the dark it was like a three to five day cycle where we dump them in a new area and go check them and if there's not a buck in there well they're getting pulled again and going somewhere else but every day we were doing that so we were doing like 15 to 25 cameras a week shifting and shifting and shifting and shifting all the way to mid January mm-hmm. really to find one. How long are you given a camera before you're pulling it off the tree? Uh, if it's so in the summertime, I'll set them up in like June or July and let them soak until mid September for Ohio for that late September opener. But once I'm in season, if I don't have anything going, I'm crazy aggressive, like three days, five days max. Really? Yeah. Because I am just, I don't want to sit and wait on a deer. I'm just like, I have to find one and it's in my head and I just have to just run, run, run. And just try well, it to goes locate. back to that three to five day window. If he's there, you know, you know, now I got to yeah. go. And if he's not keep moving. Yeah. And a, and a big factor in that this year was the fact that everywhere we were going, there was just no acorns. So like if I would have gotten to an area and there was red oaks on the ground, I'm like, you know what, man, there's food here. Let's let these cameras soak. This is going to heat up at some point in time because we know we don't have food anywhere else. But when you get into the woods and there's just no acorns yeah. and they're feeding on greenbrier and browse and like maybe my, even migrating to some of these ag fields, you just don't really have that. So yeah, it was, it was just run and gun throwing as many out as we could. What's what, okay. Let's say you deploy your cameras. What is your in season daily? Like, are you moving cameras every day on certain pieces? I would say that this past season, almost every day we went out, we were moving cameras. It was even on days that we would try to throw a hunt in, we would, if it, if we failed, which we did every time we went out. So, <laughs> I, but, but so when we would fail, we would pull cameras mm-hmm. and we would just take them, throw them in the truck for the next day and then wake up right bright and early, go out, throw some cameras out in a new spot and then go try to find an afternoon setup. And it was just kind of like that same rotation every day. Okay. Yeah, I got a question about about the hubs, you know, over the years, kind of monitoring with cameras. Do you see quite often that, you know, you'll have, and it's going to be so situational dependent, but where you have multiple hubs that kind of heat up, say, in the same three to five day window, do you see that often or? Yeah, I do. And I see that the most in the areas that have the most consistent food. Okay. Like once again, going back to the clear cuts or going back to like the, where the drainage leads out to a cornfield something really obvious. Um, when I get in those areas, I do notice that it's like, I have one specifically that I can think of. And I've showed you pictures of the antler, uh, found, I actually had a really good buck in there as a two and a half year old. And I had a bunch of good deer in there. It's the first place I ever ran a camera in Ohio. 
And I put that camera out in June and I checked it in like mid July and I had 14 good bucks on that camera. Ooh. And coming from New York, I was, I couldn't believe <laughs> what I was seeing. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I thought I hit the gold mine, man. Put your ladder staying up right now. Hey, exactly. <laughs> I'm glad I moved. <laughs> yep. Exactly. But, uh, put so, your ladder staying up. <laughs> I caught it. I caught it. I love it. So I monitored that spot heavily over the last four years now. And what I've noticed is that between like October 23rd and November 3rd or 4th, it is just, there will be a hot dough in there. Mm -hmm. And it seems like that whole family comes into heat and it's just loaded with bucks. I sent my buddy Drew in there. He came down and we went and hunted it together. And the videos on YouTube, he had the hunt of his life. He was in the stand for like 20 minutes. A 150 comes out of the cut behind him and oh busts my gosh. him. Runs back up in the cut. And he turns around and at eight points coming down the pipe and he shoots it at like 15 yards. <laughs> and it, it gets better than that because we drug that deer out, tagged it and drag it out. And we go back in. I'm like, well, that 150's in here. Like, I'm going to hunt this spot and see what we can do. And so I walk up to the scrape. I had a camera on, the old faithful, I call it, because it's always good. Sure. And we look at the camera up in the tree. And this is like the lazy Jake moment that I'm kind of biting myself for. I go, I'm not pulling that camera and checking it. Let's go up over top because we just blew out this hub we were in. Let's mm -hmm. go up over the saddle and in the hub in the backside and see if that deer that bumped back up into the cut jumps over the backside, right? So we didn't see anything. And we come down that night. And I come back in two days later and I check that camera. And we hit that camera. We hit that scrape at 330. And at 436, like a mid-160s. Oh, god! It's just working that scrape for minutes. <laughs> I mean, we would have just, we would have absolutely smoked that deer. Well, okay, so I'm going to ask you this. If what, if, so you believe if you would have checked the camera that day, you would have hunted it? I, I, I absolutely would have because it showed that it was hot for like three days in a row. Okay. Like, really yeah. Yeah. Oh, other deer were on yeah. it. Like, yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. It, Cause it, you know, yeah. the thought was, you know, is that you bumped those deer out of there. So it's yeah. like, okay, we got it. We got to keep yeah, rolling. It you know, but yeah, it, it, it was loaded with sign. And then that's one of those things where like, I try to trust my gut. Mm -hmm. And that was one of those times where I went with what my gut told me and it backfired. But next time my gut instinct's going to be a little bit different. Mm -hmm. I'm going to probably hunt yeah. that scrape. Yeah. So yeah. like, you know, evolving with that gut instinct is so important to me. Oh, All these yeah. decisions that we make on a daily yep. basis in the woods, like, you know, 17 year old Jake or Aaron or Derek or David is going to hunt totally different than you do now with mm -hmm. all the experiences you've mm -hmm. had. And I think that that's, I mean, that's the best Intel that you can possibly have. Oh yeah. Like that, that, that's not a, you know, like that hunt right there in that moment, when you recheck that card, you probably fail, you know, thought that was a big failure where it's like, it's not though, because you learn from it. You know, yeah. like you can bet your ass that this won't happen again. Yeah, I'll at least check it, even if there's no deer on it. I can move on, but I'm at least gonna check it. You know, like no shortcuts next time. I'm I know that now. How many times do you think your gut has cost you a deer? Probably a lot. It's it's a lot. It's more times than it's got me a deer, yeah. hands down. But. I just feel like if you trust that, eventually it's going to catch up. Mm -hmm. And it just seems like the times that I've really trusted my gut and it's worked out, at least in Ohio, it's been like a pretty good tier. Yeah. So yeah. I've been pretty excited. Yeah, <laughs> I, I think not only trusting your gut, but trusting your personal process, yep. how, you, how you attack this. You know, there, there's four of us sitting here in a room today. We all have the same end goal. We just don't go about it the same way. And that's okay. You, but you have to trust your year-round process. You know, when it, when it gets, you know, it's middle of the season or all of a sudden firearm season fires up or like, I, I know you had a long season, Jake, where it's like, when you get late in the ball game, you got to keep trusting your mm -hmm. own process. You know, like, because when you start deviating from it, 
it's probably not going to pay off real well. You know yeah. what I mean? Like get it, just keep trusting what you're doing. No, I agree. And that's, that's uh, a good point. I think the more that we could like go against our gut sometimes like, ah, we were just in here tracking a deer through here. Why would another deer be in here kind of thing? Or like, there's been times where you track all night and you know, you might blow out an area. And it's like, oh, I'm not going to go hunting there. It's you know, the deer that just came through there probably was two properties over and didn't even hear you or mm-hmm. smell you or like doesn't care. Yep. You know what I mean? Like I think we get too focused on like we're trying to hunt deer that we think are literally in our bubble right here when really a lot of deer are coming from a distance away. You know, that that we're probably not even touching. Yeah. You know, yeah. it's it's wild to think about. Yeah, I couldn't agree with more about that. Yeah. So we're we're coming up on just about an hour here, but uh I wanna maybe wrap up with just kind of our plans for the fall, all of us, you know, that we're going to have busy falls and everything like that. And maybe, maybe throw out some goals and what we got going on. So I don't, you, do you want to rip there, D-Rock? What do you got? Yeah, we got a big plan this fall for uh, latitude and going to hit a lot, most of the states we hit this year and adding some more to the list. Obviously, we got more guys. We got a full crew now and it's great. So we're going to be able to spread out a little more and hit yeah. different places. And being able to get guys to spread out scouting is incredible too, to get feet on the ground instead of you know just going into the we go into these places blind and we we love it but to have that time to maybe get some intel on some of these states that are farther away from michigan ohio um the goal with that is just kill some deer i mean we have the team to do it we have killers you know we have we have you iron we have jake and alex kevin Corey, uh the other jake metallic yeah um so yeah that's that's the goal for me is putting this putting this show together with you and everyone here in the content team is to just get deer down and for me personally it's my biggest takeaway from this year and then i really i didn't get to spend too much time with jake um is to really just learn from him mm-hmm. to be able to be in the woods with him it's a blessing to be in the woods with him and learn what he's doing and just watch him so just education for me in the woods um you're gonna, run, you gonna run up and down some more hills before you go oh yeah up. oh yeah I'm, <laughs> every morning Incline that treadmill and just start running. Add a boy. <laughs> I'm ready to go. I'm gonna be tur- Jake. Come on, hurry up. <laughs> Jake, why you? We why, gotta why, get up here. You're yeah. lagging behind, guy. Come on. Hey, I'll remember that. <laughs> yeah. Don't you forget about that one. I'm <laughs> huffing and puffing. Yeah. One of you guys will have a backpack leash on this year. Yeah. yeah. Already? yeah. I love it. <laughs> that's funny. No, that's good because I'm I'm super pumped about going into this year and and uh, just laying a whole bunch of stuff down, deer and footage, and just having a good time. Yeah, you know? yeah, and I, I plan on getting in the woods a little more this year. I'm going to really focus on early season because if I can get something done early, then I can really just focus on my work and getting it done for the Makes team. Makes the fall much better when you yeah. kill one early. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Especially when you're filming, so. Yeah. What would you say your biggest goal for you, personal goal, would be this year? Shoot my uh, shoot my first buck in Ohio since I moved here. I have not. I've shot a buck in Ohio since I moved to Ohio two years ago. Didn't recover it, um, but just to get on a nice deer early season would be goal yeah. for me, and preferably on public land, just because all the knowledge I have now. I mean, there's, I mean, there's no reason for me to go out there. I got just to- ask Jake to give up one of his hogs. <laughs> <laughs> He's got 250 of them. Yeah. <laughs> like what we talked about earlier, I asked him about like the bed, the food. Like my yeah. my problems before, I'd find this bed, I'd find food, and be like, "This is where I'm hunting. That's my spot." He will find that and then go find 200 more. Yeah. You know, and then I'm sitting in that spot, I'm like, "Where's this deer at?" And they're like, a little spike will come out. That was the one that was bedded there hitting that food. But now I go into it like I got to find like 15, 20 more of those, and then put a camera on it and figure out which one I want to shoot is on there. So yeah, I like it, David. Yeah. What do you got? 
Yeah, man. Uh, I'm just going to, you know, keep going with the process, you know, as I always do. Uh, probably hopefully get, hopefully both my daughters this year both want to hunt. Um, I know Bailey will for sure and get her, uh, get her, her third buck and maybe Madeline get out hunting too. But, um, you know, for here in Michigan, it's, it's always near and dear to my heart to try to really kill a higher end class buck here. And if, uh, you know, that only means filling one tag here in my home state, that's always okay with me. Um, I always try to try to make it a personal goal though, too, is, is to, and I know that numbers don't mean anything. So this is just a reference, but I really like the, the challenge of always trying to find something like that 150 or bigger here in Michigan. And, uh, it don't happen often. Usually it's every few years, but I, I really, I really would like to go find another one of those and have the opportunity to hunt them. But, uh, then, you know, if I don't, I, I, I'm really shooting for that 125 to 130 or bigger here in Michigan, but, uh, you know, my family life is changing. My, my daughters are getting older and more independent and it's, it's actually going to start opening up some out of state hunting for me and which, you know, I've really only, you know, devoted a good amount of time for that one time back when I, I drew an Iowa tag and I'm kind of really looking forward to that. You know, I might get a, a trip or two and, and hopefully not just, a, you know, a two or three day style hunt, of, you know, really to be able to devote some time and get down into some areas and, uh, you know, last year I was able to share some camp with some of you guys up in Northern Michigan. And that, that was really fun too. And to be able to do that same thing in a, you know, a little higher caliber area would be awesome. Yeah. But, and then at the end of the day, just always be a student of the game, man. That's always, that's always what I'm looking to do is just keep learning and, uh, kind of keep building that profile of, uh, you know, spots to hunt and it just knowledge of the areas. So mm-hmm. yeah, I got you. kind of the goal, man. I like it. Yeah. Jake, what do you got? Well, you guys covered a lot of it. I mean, <laughs> you really nailed it. Um, but no, I would say what I'm most excited for this year is we have an awesome group of guys mm-hmm. and we're going to be able to go out and explore together yep. and have a ton of fun and film it all and just make a ton of memories. I mean, we're going to be in a ton of states. We yep. are going to kill deer. We are going to learn so much from each Coming other. Coming to each, each, each uh, state. Just <laughs> <laughs> horns are yep. blowing. Here we go. Yep, this Here is, they come. Alex, we're getting a bus. We're yep. going to do it. Yes. <laughs> Throw it in the budget. But uh, but no, I mean, David, Derek, Aaron, uh, Alex, Kevin, Jake, Corey. You know, I could go all, on all day long. I'm so excited to go out with every one of these guys that has a different thought process and different mm-hmm. tactics and learn. And I think that's one thing that we're all going to do a ton this year is we're going to learn so much about deer and deer hunting. Uh, we've got a ton of scouting trips planned. We've mm-hmm. already been down in Kentucky. I've learned a bunch with that. I mean, even Aaron with e-scouting with you last week, yeah. you taught me things about a way to hunt a hub that I've never even considered. And I was like, yeah, why wouldn't that work? Honestly, like, I'm, dude, I'm when I sent you that, <laughs> when I sent you that pen, uh, I was like, Jake's going to tear this apart, but I, I need that. I need that. I need, <laughs> I need like, and then he comes back and he's like, I probably wouldn't have killed that deer because I would have hunted it totally different. And he's like, that's crazy. Good one. Or, yeah. you know, and something I, like yeah, that. Yeah, I throw it in the memory bank. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's exactly what, like, we're all students of the game. Mm-hmm. And I can see that in the way that we talk and the way that we, you know, act around each other and how passionate we are about deer hunting. And there's nothing better than that to me. So I would say my number one goal this year is to take a lesson from each one of you out in the field and just mesh it with my own game and just elevate my game a little bit more. You know, that's, it. that's yeah. what I'm excited for. And I got to film D rock, get a buck. Yeah. That's, <laughs> that's my other goal right there. There I goes get, the spike. You yeah. on him, Jake. You hey. on him. <laughs> oh, don't you worry. We're going to have a blast. Oh. Double punch. Yeah. <laughs> no, that, that's a great point that, uh, that Jake made is that, you know, I, this, this sport's very easy to get, 
kind of into a solo track mind, right? I, I, we all kind of do. Like at the end of the day, a lot of times, you know, when the trips are over, we're back home hunting by ourselves. But if you're open, open your mind up to, you know, listening and hearing how other guys hunt, like that can elevate your game also, you know, just because Jake hunts something totally different than I do. And Aaron hunts something different than I do. And so does Derek. But like, if I'm open to it, I can learn. Cause guess Mm -hmm. what? Who knows? I may be down in Ohio someday hunting and I can take that knowledge then. But the most important part, we talked about this earlier is when you hear this knowledge from other people, being able to apply it to your situation that's mm-hmm. that's what makes things deadly so yeah sharing camp with a bunch of good killers it's uh if you're if you're open open-minded to it it can it can help you in, in a big way yeah no i couldn't agree more i want to have as many aha moments as like learning aha moments where it's like ah yeah, yeah. i like that <laughs> yeah. i get god daddy's yeah. gotta do that yep. you know yep. i like that sharing camp everything but learning is the big thing. And then if I had a personal goal, it's just I want to kill my first public land buck. You know, yep. that was a goal of mine last year. And I didn't put a lot of time into it. I had some other things going on in private land. So I had <laughs> <laughs> well, this year we're traveling and we're doing some out of state stuff. So I can't wait for that. Aaron just got all of his private posted with public signs. Yeah. Like, yeah kill it on no public, public, boys. <laughs> You can't hunt here, though, but this is on public. Oh, yeah, it's public, ground. I'm looking down here because I, I got a question. I'm going to do a – we do this listener-submitted question. I'm doing it. I, I got one for all of us here. Um, we we usually have people write in questions, and they and this guy did this. His name is Mason Jantz. Sorry, Mason, if I spe- or said your name wrong, but um, he come with a cool question. He, he said – and we'll go to Jake first. Would you rather shoot a 140-inch buck – in Iowa with a recurve or shoot. I think I know what your answer is going to be. So I need to tweak this a little bit. Put a little AB flare on it, buddy. Yeah. Would you rather shoot a 140 inch buck with a recurve in Iowa or shoot a 140 inch buck with a compound in your home state? Uh, I'm gonna cl- I'm gonna say my home state's New York, and I'm gonna take that 140 inch deer. Oh, he, he he pivoted <laughs> on me. Damn it! The w- the way the question does state is he's like, would you rather kill a 140 inch buck in Iowa with a recurve or kill a 160 in your home state? And I was like, ah, anybody's gonna kill 160 in your. Yep. So I had to tweak a little bit. So same question to you: home state Michigan, 140 in Michigan or 140 with a recurve in Iowa? I'm I'm going Michigan. Michigan's got a it's it's got a special place in my heart, dude. It just just too much time and work put into yeah. it. Yeah, I, I would. Yeah. What do you got, D-Rock? Yeah, I'm I'm the same as Jake. I'm from Pennsylvania. I'd rather shoot 135 in Pennsylvania than You're shoot. Making one, this too one, easy. One. <laughs> too right. easy. But to you, buddy. I'm going to Iowa recurve, man. Yeah. Just <laughs> bend those big <laughs> old <laughs> limbs back. You know, just like why not, right? You know, and then have the you know I could put all the flannel on and the face Ooh. paint, and just be like you know. There you go. There it is. <laughs> I had to be different. I'd shoot a 140 with a recurve. Yeah, it, it, Skip it, it off be, his back. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, it would be cool though. It would be. Yeah, it, yeah. I mean, I guess the you know the one part of that is is if you're in Iowa, it's a hunting trip, right? Yeah, it's gonna be a good time, you know. Yeah. So uh, I'm not passing up a 140 in Iowa. <laughs> no, no, no. Well, yeah, I'm not. I mean, we're, we're with point creep. We're waiting maybe six years oh, now. Yeah. Yep. I can't do that. Yeah, it's bad. You know, so, but cool. I appreciate you guys doing this. Uh, we're up. We didn't even say why you're up here. You're up here. We're doing like kind of like a work bee for the next couple of days. And so I do a little podcast tomorrow. We got a big day of production stuff oh, we're yeah. going to do. So 
I'm excited about that. But thanks for coming on here. Yeah, Appreciate it. Thanks, thanks for, for having us on. Yeah. Uh, everybody out there, thank you for all the support and all the downloads. Please go to iTunes, leave a five-star rating and a written review. It was gr- always greatly appreciated. Go to Spotify as well and leave a five-star rating there. So thank you guys very much, and uh, we'll see you right here next time on The Fall Podcast. <laughs>